Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Okay, well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing with all of you. And as you know, we've been going through the sermon series called Relationship uh, with Others. And this week, we're starting just this one part on relationship with accountability. And then next week, we'll start the one on relationship with the lost. But as we think about this whole topic of discipleship is about relationship, accountability is one of those relationships that's really, really important for us to understand from a biblical perspective as well as through a gospel lens. I don't know how many of us were in different accountability relationships or maybe we've had bad experiences with accountability. Maybe we've had great experiences. But one thing I fundamentally believe is that accountability can be life transformative. If we have good gospel-centered accountability, it can really change our whole life. Uh, And I wanted to show a video uh, to us. It's actually about a really unique accountability partnership for a man who was really struggling with weight loss. Um, And he had different medical concerns. And through accountability of a very interesting and unique kind, you'll see as soon as we roll the video, uh, he really experienced something really special. So let's watch this video together. How many of us we want to get a dog now? <laughs> like, if only could get a dog and that will transform my life. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, how many of us we've experienced that kind of life transformative accountability? And it wasn't just the, it wasn't just the weight, but it was his whole perspective that really changed. It was his whole life that really changed. And not only did he go from someone who was really insecure and had all these medical problems, but to someone who's running marathons. And at the end, I don't know if you caught that last statement, but he asked the question, who is it that rescued who? Was it he that rescued the dog, or was it the dog that rescued him? And I want to challenge us with the thought of, do we have that kind of relationship in our lives? Does that kind of discipleship relationship, an accountability partner that can really run with us, that could live life together, that we can experience life on life as we help one another, we run this race together, That's the kind of relationship. Do we have that? And I I don't know how many of us were part of Life Change Group. That's our accountability partner. That's what we call it. Uh, We call it accountability, or we call it Life Change Group. Why? Because we believe that life change happens in accountability. And I know that, again, like I mentioned earlier on, we all have different experiences, but I really believe that if we are focused on the gospel, and we make the gospel the center of every accountability relationship that we have, we're going to be able to experience something like that. So I'm going to give us the one thing for this morning. The one thing is that life transformation is possible when we have accountability according to the gospel. Life transformation is possible when we have accountability according to the gospel. And so what we're going to do is there's not a single passage for this morning. We're going to look at a couple different passages. And then each point, we're going to talk about three ways, three points, three ways that we can have gospel-centered accountability. Three ways that we're going to have gospel-centered accountability. The first one, the first thing that we have to know, the first thing that we have to understand is that we are accountable to God. First and foremost, we are accountable to God. We're going to read Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, and then those of you, uh, since there's going to be a good number of verses, I would encourage you to open the mobile app. There's notes in there that you can follow along, and then the passages will be right there so you can read it. So again, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. This is what it says. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So we look at this passage, and some of us might be familiar with this passage because we look at Hebrews 4.12 quite often, and we think about the Word of God, and we're like, yes, the Word of God, it really helps me to grow, helps me to understand who I am, and it helps me to be more self-aware. But oftentimes we don't turn one more verse and look at the following verse. And I think this is really important for us because it talks about why the Word of God is revealing those things in our heart. And if we notice in verse 13, it talks about giving account. That phrase, giving account, is really important. And, and we want to talk about why, what does it mean to give account? What does it mean to be accountable? I looked it up in the Cambridge English Dictionary. The definition of accountable, according to the Cambridge English Dictionary, is responsible for and having to explain your actions. Responsible for <clears throat> and having to explain your actions. Anytime you do something, anytime you engage in a relationship, anytime you do a task, anytime you get up in the morning, it's being responsible for and being able to explain everything that you've done. You, many of us, or not many of us, but some of us, we're in the accounting field. The reason why it's called accounting is why? You're accounting for the finances of that organization. And as an accountant, any of you business students took accounting 101 or whatever the class is? Probably, I hated that class. Okay. <laughs> Worst class ever, in my perspective. Maybe you love it, so praise the Lord. But accounting, what you do, you're trying to match the numbers so that it fits. And you need to account, you need to explain every single dollar that came in and went out of your organization, right? Because who? Who is responsible? The business is responsible, and you have to be able to explain that. So that's accountability. <clears throat> so in verse 13, it talks about how everyone must give account to God. Everyone must give account to God. We're going to read that in a couple different translations. In the New Living Translation, it talks about He is the one to whom we are accountable. He is the one to whom we are accountable. So we are accountable to God. In, in one sense, we give account to God, but in another sense, we, he, he is the one whom we are accountable for <clears throat> or accountable to. And then NASB, it says, Him to whom we must answer. Him to whom we must answer. So there's something that we have to answer for, the way that we live. He might ask us some questions like, was the way that you live biblical? Was it according to the godly life that I wanted you to live? In the New Century Version, it says, To him we must explain the way we have lived. We must explain the way we have lived. And whether or not match, it matches what God has for us or not is something that we have to be conscious of. This is not the only passage that talks about us giving an account to God in Romans 14, verse 12. It says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account to God. Pastor, why are we talking about accountability? Why are we talking about being accountable to God? This is not a, not a fun, awesome, loving topic. Why, why can't we go back to puppies and getting fit and you know, seeing life transformation? Why? It's because unless we realize we are accountable to God more than anyone else, then we're never going to want to change. If we do not take responsibility, if we do not realize that we need to explain our lives and our actions, then we will never want to change. 
We don't want to naturally take responsibility. We are not naturally people who enjoy taking responsibility and explaining the reason for why we made the decisions that we made. Just without raising your hands, just thinking in your mind, just think of a business leader, think of a political leader, think of someone up there that you've seen on television or on the public platform. How many of them take responsibility? Very few. Very few. There's always an excuse. There's always a back door. There's always this other reason for why things didn't happen the way that they expected it to. Oh, it's that person's fault, or that company's fault, or that department's fault. Why? Because we don't like to take responsibility. Because we don't naturally enjoy seeing the shame or the guilt or whatever went wrong happen on our shoulders. We don't like the condemnation. We don't like the embarrassment. But unless we take responsibility and we realize we are to give an account, then we were never going to change. We're never going to change. I, I don't know if any of you uh, know about the, the organization called Alcoholics Anonymous. It's, it's fairly um, well-known in the, in the U.S., and it's expanded worldwide. One of the first steps as a part of Alcoholics Anonymous is what? Is to admit that you're an alcoholic. Is to admit that you're an alcoholic. Why do they do that? Why? Because unless you admit you're an alcoholic, then you will never change. Unless you admit that you have a problem, you will never change. Unless you take responsibility that something is wrong or off in your life, then you will never change. And this is the problem for us. Many of us, we love giving excuses. We love giving other reasons for why our lives are at the point that they're at. Some of us, others of us, uh, we don't take the time or effort to think clearly. We just pass it off as like, I'm just going to live life. But if you were to take a moment and think, pause, reflect, then we would realize that we're going down a path that God maybe doesn't want us to go down to. Another possible reason I was thinking about is maybe some of us, instead of having accountability, we just do whatever it is that other person tells us to do without thinking. It's kind of related to the previous one. But instead of going against what they might say, we end up just going along with whatever that person wants us to do. And then when we get into a position that we don't want to get into, then what do we do? We, get, we blame that per other person. I don't know how many of you, you have life group leaders who are like, oh, yeah, are you coming to life group? You know, are you going to be at the hangout? And you're like, ah, oh, ah, ah. A little bit of blue ticks. You're just like, I'm thinking, I don't know. And then, you, you know, you either of two sides. On one side, you're like, no, I'm not going to go. And you're like, oh, if, if I go, then I'm going to be doing all this people-pleasing stuff. And you don't really think about, what is it that God wants me to do? On the other hand, it's the same thing. You sit there, and you're like, okay, I just got to go because my life group leader asked me to. But really, you didn't think through for yourself who am I going to give an account to? Can I take responsibility? Can I explain why I'm making these decisions? And then when something happens, you're like, oh, my God. Students, you're like, oh, my gosh. I went to the hangout, and I did so bad on the exam the next day. It's all my life group leader's fault. I've heard that before. <laughs> or let's say I have this big project due the next day. Or all these other things. And because my life group leader blah, 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 then, man, I did poorly on that project, or I wasn't able to be faithful to my work. 
and we don't take responsibility for that. I'll tell you, life transformation is not possible unless we realize that we are accountable to God. We are accountable, we are responsible for our own actions. What does it mean to give an account? So not, not only do we talk about what does it mean to give an account, but what does it mean to give an account to God? Because we could be accountable to other people, but what does it mean that we have to give an account to God, the, the creator of the universe, the Lord of the lords, the heaven of heavens? And some of us might be thinking like, God already knows all my actions. Why do I have to explain? Why do I have to take responsibility? He already knows why I did what I did. He's all, omnipresent. He's all around me, so it's not like he doesn't know. So why do I have to explain to him, or why do I have to list out the reasons for why I did a certain thing? It means that when we take responsibility, we have to have a healthy fear of who God is, knowing that God is, is a just God that has standards that we fall short of. And that's not something that we like to hear. That's not something that we're like, oh, yes, God is just, and he is wrathful, and he is a jealous God, and he likes to punish people who disobey him. None of us are like, yeah, exciting. But that's part of giving account to God for all the things that we have done or not done. And there ought to be a healthy fear of God that when we look at him and when we see who he is, when we see scripture, that we realize, oh, man, maybe I have not followed God the way that I ought to have followed him. Why is this healthy fear of God good? Sinclair Ferguson in this book, Grow in Grace, he, he says this. He says, the fear of God is the result of discovering that the God whom we thought of with slavish, servile fear, the holy, righteous, terrifying God of judgment and majesty is also the God who forgives us through Jesus Christ. One reason why we know so little of a filial fear, fear is that we do not appreciate the gospel. If we would grow in grace so that we fear God like this, we must first return to the gospel and to the meaning of the cross. I think what he says is so on point. The reason why we don't know that fear is because we don't understand the gospel. And the, and the beginning of the gospel is not only that God created us to be in relationship with him, but it's that we fell. It's that we were sinful. It's that we disobeyed God. And that's the most terrifying thing of coming into accountability with God. Why? Is because we know deep in our hearts that we are so messed up, that we fall so short from God, that if we were to come in the presence of any kind of perfection who is God, that we would be condemned, that we have no right standing with him. And, and, and the, the greatness of the bad news is that, is that there's good news afterward is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gives us grace and mercy when we recognize that we have fallen so short. When we recognize, we don't get, give excuses, we explain the things that we've done and we say, the only way that I can come into a relationship with God is if Jesus Christ is my covering. That has to be it. There's no other way that we can be accountable to God in any healthy way unless we fear God unless we recognize that we've fallen so short and we recognize the only way that we can come into his presence is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the problem. Is some of us, we don't like this because we don't think we're that bad. Some of us, we are not accountable to God because we don't think that we have many issues to work through. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, but I go to church enough. I 
grew up in a Christian family. I don't do anything overtly bad. Hey, yeah, what's the big deal? Yeah, I'm pretty nice. I, I just cut a little bit of that corner. Just told a couple white lies here and there. I just blue ticked a couple people the other day. <laughs> right? That there's so many reasons why we can give, because what? We don't think we're that bad. And because we don't think we're that bad, we are not willing to come into account before God. And because we're not willing to do that, then we don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel says what? We're sinful. We're messed up. We have to acknowledge that. We have to admit that for us to experience the gospel. Some of us on the other side, so on one side, we're proud. We don't think that we really need God. On the other side, we're crushed by the weight of our sin. We're so insecure. We're like, there's no way God could love me. And I'm so broken, and I just don't have anything to validate myself with. And I'm just like, oh, woe is me. And I'm stuck in this pit, and I'm just like going through the spirals in my mind. Yes, you might know the sin that you have, but that means you haven't understood the goodness of grace, that there's no condemnation through Jesus Christ. I think um, this verse sums it up very, very well. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we say we have no sin, if we, if we kind of go about life thinking like, oh, I'm good, I'm not, that, I'm not that messed up, like all the stuff that I do, it's not that bad, then what happens? We deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. We're not accountable to God, and we're missing part of the gospel. And on the other side, if we do not confess our sins, why? Because they're so overwhelming. They're so, uh, there's too many insecurities. I can't stand under the weight then what happens? Then we don't receive his faithful and just forgiveness for our sins. Either side causes us to not be an account to God and miss out on the gospel message. That means every single day we have a choice. We can choose to be held and be accountable to God. That God is the main reason. God is the main motivation. It's not my life group leader. It's not all these other people. It's because I am accountable to God. Because God has a truth for me. God has a command for me. God has a mission for me. And if I am falling short of that mission in any way, shape, or form, then I am responsible for that. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says or anyone else tells me that I know that I am accountable before God and I need to repent and confess and receive the grace and love from Jesus Christ. And that is why I do everything that I do. Do we have that kind of mentality? Do we have this understanding that God is my primary authority, he is my primary accountability more than anyone else in this world? Because one day we'll have to stand before him and give an account for everything that we've done. And you can't be like, hey God, my life group leader told me to do that. You can't be like, hey, my boss told me to do that. My friend told me to do that. You can't. You will be held accountable for everything that you do. And it's the good news of Jesus Christ that allows us to stand before him. So that's the first thing. We must be accountable to God. The second thing is we must be, allow accountability into our lives. We're talking about with, even with the best intentions, we might deceive ourselves. So because of that, we have to also allow accountability into our lives. We're going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7 
the 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. It says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? <clears throat> in verse 8, in the passage we just read, we see a description of a person who's stuck in the cycle of deception. Stuck in this, this cycle of deception. What is this, what is this cycle? Because in 1 John 1, 9, we just talked about how if we say we have no sin, we, we deceive ourselves. And so for us, when we realize we're, we're deceived, it's easy to deceive ourselves, then somehow we got to open up. we got to allow accountability into our lives. So let's look at what is a cycle of deception. When we look at verse 8, what happens? He, he, he has no other person. There's no end to his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with his riches, so he never asks the question that will get him out of that cycle. What is this? cycle look like then in our lives. Usually we identify something that we want. Finances, job, career, work, whatever it is, grades. When we identify what that thing is, then we work hard to get it. There's no end to our toil. We, we work really hard. We pursue after it. And then number three, we either get or we don't get what we want. Sometimes more often than not, it seems like we don't get it, right? But sometimes we get it. But regardless of whether we get it or we don't get it, then what happens? We oftentimes feel unsatisfied. We oftentimes feel like that, that's it. Um, for for uh, getting stuff ready for the, the, the baby, we have actually, um, we're like buying stuff online to, you know, HKTV Mall and all that kind of stuff. And so like when you purchase something, there's this like thrill, right? There's like, ooh, I'm getting a package. And then, you know, they'll send you notifications, your package is coming go to the O2O store shop to go pick up your package. And like, oh, you have, to, you have to meet a certain minimum amount in order to get it shipped to your door. Like, oh, man, I'm just under that. And so you're like, oh, and they encourages you to buy more, right? So they're really good at that. Um, so there's this thrill of like, okay, I'm getting a package. And then when that package comes, you're like, oh, it's Christmas. Yeah, I'm so excited. And then what happens? You open the boxes, you get your stuff, and then you're sitting there with the stuff, and you're like, that's it? I don't know if any of you felt that. No, none of you, right? Many of us, we've felt that before. Like you, you, you get so pumped up to buy this thing that you're always longing for. You work really hard. You make this money. You set aside to save, to make this purchase. You make that purchase. It comes in the mail. You open it. You're like, for the first like 10 minutes, you're yeah, like, this is so amazing. You try it out. And then like the next day, you're like, huh? This is it? It's not as fast as I thought it would be. Or not as great as I thought it would be. And we're left feeling empty, unsatisfied. And that's the thing, is we constantly deceive ourselves, thinking that if we just had that, then we would be great. If we just could get that thing, or achieve that thing, we would be okay. Jeremiah 17, 9-10, we, we use this verse, we talk about this a lot. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. How many of us, we fall into this cycle? We fall into this cycle where we identify something that we want, 
We work really hard to get it. We get or don't get what we want. We feel unsatisfied and we repeat. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Just put anything that you're pursuing after in that category. Let's say those of us who are city ministry, we're working, we're you know, trying to climb the corporate ladder. We're, we're, our goal is to get to a certain position. And I don't know how many of us, we've gotten to that position, then what happens? Oh man, that's it? Or like, oh man, so much responsibility. And we think, oh, if only I could get to that other position, then everything would be great. How many of us, oh, grades? Like, oh man, I need that 4.0 GPA. And I'm, probably most of you are like, oh, I can never get that 4.0 GPA. And then what happens when you get something that you were looking for? You're like, oh, okay. But then there's something else that you need to still satisfy. Why? Because that GPA that you wanted, that somehow you're able to, let's say you're able to, you're aiming for like a 3.0. You're like, yes, I got a 3.0. But then after a 3.0, you're like, oh, man. There's this other thing that I didn't get that I need to get. And, and somehow in our minds, we think that if I, only I could get to that top pinnacle, point that everything would be great. If only I could be a billionaire in Hong Kong. Wouldn't that be awesome? I could buy whatever property I wanted. I could live in Repulse Bay, you know, or somewhere else that's, you know, mid-levels or the peak or something like that. Not have to worry about transportation. Don't have to take the MTR anymore. Everything would be awesome. How many of us, we know Jeff Bezos? We know, uh, who's the other guy from Microsoft? Bill Gates? <laughs> <laughs> How many of you know what happened in the last couple of months in their lives? They got divorced. I was a little bit shocked. I was like, oh, I, I kind of had a, a decent view of Bill Gates kind of all throughout my life because he seemed like very philanthropist, right? He started this wonderful charity. He's committed to giving all his money away. He's very successful. He seemed like he had a great family. And then now that the news is coming out, what happened? You realize there's all this junk in his life that he wasn't satisfied by. The only reason why they kept their marriage together was until their kids got old enough. And you think about it like, oh, man, billion, they have everything. They have everything. Why are they still not satisfied? And it shows us that we deceive ourselves, thinking that if we could only get to that moment or only that point, that we would be satisfied, then we are, we are mistaken. We are deceived. So what can help us to break out of this cycle the, the author of this passage from Ecclesiastes, uh, most commentators will say it's Solomon. Solomon, who's wise above every other king, every other person in this world. God gave him this incredible wisdom. And he writes this book. And, and what can help us to break out of this cycle? And after this, verse 8, where this deception cycle happens, in verse 9, what does he say? He says, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Why? Because... If you fall, then someone else can lift you up. If you get unsatisfied, someone can point it out for you. If you're in this cycle, then someone can lift you out of that cycle, help break you out of that cycle, and find something more meaningful. Same with the verse 11. It talks about two people can keep each other warm. A three-fold cord is not easily broken. There's something about having multiple people around you that you invite and you open yourself up to that allows people to experience something greater, a life change. I, I don't know how many business students there are here. Again, I don't know why I'm picking on the business students. But for business students, or uh, anyone math students here? Actuarial or anything like that? What is one plus one equal to? Two. Okay, if you're in business school, what is one plus one equal to? Three, Three yes. 
Oftentimes in business school, you're taught that one plus one is equal to three. And what do you call that? You call that synergy. And I remember when I was in, uh, in my fifth year, well, I was doing like a one-year master's degree, and my master's program was connected to the business school. And they were like, that, when was this? Back in like 2012 or something like that. And 2012, like synergy was like the hot word in the business world. Like everything was synergy, right? Like every other class, you'd be like synergy, 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 right? And then every company, like business article, be like synergy. If you don't have synergy, you're 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 dead in this world. And it was kind of like that hot trending word. But after some time, it just kind of faded out. Now I don't know what the hot word is now. It's you know co-creation or something like that, right? <laughs> you just come up with all these coin words and then you know eventually fades out. Why? Why did it fade out? Why wasn't synergy? The, the thing that really revolutionized business. If we're talking about accountability, why wasn't that helpful? Why? Because when you have synergy, it means, synergy really, literally means combined power of a group of things when they're working together, it's greater than the sum total of their individual parts. But why is synergy so hard? In the business world, when you go and have synergy, what do you have to do? What do companies do when they come together? They merge. And I don't know if any of you city people have gone through companies where you're in a merger. What happens? Merger is another word for layoffs, getting fired. When, when you merge things together, you're trying to find efficiency so that you lose less things. But by doing that, you end up having to cut different people. And so synergy doesn't work as miraculously as the business world will claim it to. Why? Because for two separate entities to come together, that means someone's got to lose. Someone has to put themselves out there. Someone has to bear the cost of coming together. It's not so easy as just, uh, let me, you fell into a hole, okay, let me lift you up. I lost a couple of joules of energy and I'm good. When you come together in accountability, what happens is some part of your life is going to come at a cost to benefit that other person. How many of you have been in an LCG relationship like, oh my gosh. Why? Because it's coming at a cost to your time, to your emotional capacity, to your relational capital. You're like, oh, there's all these people I want to spend time with. This is one more person I have to spend time with. Why? Because it comes at a cost. And most of us, we don't want to pay that cost. We don't want to pay that cost. Even though when we really look at it together, when you come together, yes, there are things that you can do together that you would not be able to do alone. But the reason why you don't want to believe one plus one is actually equal to three is because you don't want to pay the cost that comes with coming together. You don't want to be open to accountability because it's, come to come, it's going to come at a too great of a cost. And, and some of us, we ask, like, why isn't, why isn't there anyone there for me? Why is no one reaching out to me? Why is no one, you know, like trying to keep me accountable or help me? I'm wondering, when was the last time that you put yourself out there for the sake or the benefit of someone else, at a cost to yourself, so that someone else could benefit. I wonder if the reason why so many, some of us have not had great accountability experiences is because our mindset is all about us. We're like those two businesses that are merging together, and one business is like, I don't want to lose any people. And what's going to happen to that merger? It's not going to work. The same thing with accountability relationships. If you two people come together and one person's like, I just want to take... I just want to receive. That accountability relation is not going to work. We see this in other passages. Hebrews 10, verse 25, New Living Translation. It says, and let us not, read it together, 
neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The day of his return is drawing near. We're accountable to God. Remember that, first point. So what does that mean we ought to do? Not neglect our meeting together. Don't raise your hand. How many of you missed your LCG meeting this past week? How many of us were like, why are there so many meetings? Why, are there so, why is community so important to our church? Why can't I just live an individual Christian life and be happy? Like, we're made to live in community. We're made to love one another. The greatest commandment, love God and love people. You can't do that by yourself. And none of this, like, Gen Z, self-love. I'm just going to self-love myself, you know. What is that? To really love someone else, you have to be in community with people. You have to commit to meeting together. And if you give all these different excuses, like, oh, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I don't want to put myself out there, I don't feel comfortable with that person, then you really haven't loved that person. You've neglected to meeting together. It's a commandment in, in Scripture. James 5, verse 16, says, Therefore, read it together again, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What do you have to do if you're going to confess your sins to someone? Who has to put themselves out there first? You do. It doesn't say get that other person to confess to you first. It says you confess your sins to one another. You have to take the responsibility. You have to take the initiative. And what does that do? When you confess your sin, what does that open yourself up to? Loss. It comes at a cost. You could be rejected. You could be shamed. You can be embarrassed. You could be, you know, that person could turn away from you, not want to talk to you anymore. And there's a risk. There's always a risk. But if you always play it safe and protect yourself, then you're never going to experience the accountability and openness to one another that makes a great accountability relationship where one plus one is actually equal to three. And, and this, is the, this is the hard part, is we don't want to open ourselves up unless you have an understanding of the gospel. Why? Because it's our pride that hinders us from opening up. If we don't do this according to the gospel, we realize we are secure, our identity is in Christ, and we're never going to open ourselves up. Our pride is going to overcome us. This is what it says Paul Tripp in his book, Dangerous Calling. He says, why do any of us get upset or tense when confronted? Why do any of us activate our inner lawyer and rise to our own defense? Why do any of us turn the tables, remind the other person that we are not the only sinner in the room? Any of you do that? Why do we argue about the facts or dispute the other person's interpretation? Like, oh, yeah, well, you saw it this way, but really my intention was this, so your opinion doesn't really matter. We do all of these things because we are convinced in our hearts that we are more righteous that how we, that how then we are being portrayed in the moment of confrontation. I think there's some kind of typo there. Okay. We do all these things because we're convinced in our hearts that we are more righteous than how we are being portrayed in the moment of confrontation. Proud people don't welcome loving, warning, rebuke, confrontation, question, criticism, or accountability because why? They don't feel the need for it. And when they do fail, they are very good at erecting plausible reasons for what they said or did, given the stress of the situation or relationship in which it was done. How many of us, this describes us to the T. 
that we, we close ourselves, we protect ourselves. We're so afraid of any confrontation. Why? Because it's our pride on the line. And so we're never willing to open ourselves up. We're never willing to keep meeting with that person because we're like, oh my God, they're going to keep on asking me questions and I don't want to answer them. I don't want to confess my sin proactively. Why? Because I'm going to feel judged and that's going to hit to my pride. What's the, what's the big deal of knowing that you're a sinner? That's the gospel. If you don't know you're a sinner, how can you understand the gospel? But some of us are so intent on thinking that I'm not a sinner. I didn't sin in this way. Don't, don't tell me I'm a sinner. But if you don't understand that you're a sinner, how can you know the good news of Jesus Christ? One of my LCGs back um, when I was in the U.S., I, I, was, I was a leader at that time. It was a summer life group. It was all guys' life group. It was, it was pretty short, too. I'll never forget this LCG because um, I, I didn't know this person. We got paired up, and he was a little bit newer. And um, he, we ended up meeting for LCG. And I just had, I, you know, usually in LCG, you're just getting to know one another, just sharing some expectations, like, hey, you know, how are you doing? What are some things that you're willing to get out of LCG? I'll never forget we were sitting in, in the basement of one of the, the student halls or student cafeteria areas, and he just started opening up his life. And he shared a really deep um, and really, really personal struggle that he had without me prompting. And I, I, at first, I was a little bit shocked, surprised, like, oh my goodness. And, and after he shared that, you know, I, I just kind of recollected myself, and I just said, thanks for sharing. But what it ended up doing was after he shared, I just felt the desire not only to encourage him, but also to share some things that I was going through. And just something just happened from that first meeting that every single meeting after that we, we met consistently and we just opened up our lives. And he was actually like significantly younger than I was, probably like four, three or four years younger than I was. But we just had this amazing time of just being able to speak into one another's lives and opening ourselves up so that because he had shared that deep thing in the beginning, there was nothing that was like off, off, off limits. There was nothing that we couldn't talk about because he set the bar for vulnerability and, and openness to accountability. And, and I just will never forget that LCG, and I, I actually recently talked with that person, even though it's been quite a while since we've been in touch. And I just realized like there's something powerful about opening yourself up. There's something very gospel-centered about opening yourself up as you welcome other people into your life, that that creates the environment for the gospel to be reflected in your accountability relationships. And that's an incredible opportunity to build one another up. I hope and I pray that your LCG experiences will be better than that, that as you open yourselves up, you put yourselves out there because of the gospel message, that you're there to build one another up, that you can actually experience real-life transformation that way. A couple questions I just have for us is, do we recognize that there might be different ways that we're deceiving ourselves, that we're putting up a front, we're protecting our pride? Do we allow accountability into our lives? Or do we seek it out to ask other people to help us? Because something that we often say in our church is, you will only get so much out of accountability as you invest into it. If you do not ask for it, then you're not going to get it. If you do not pursue after it, if you're not open about it, then you're not going to experience it for yourself. So, now, so we talked about how we're accountable to God. We talked about how we must allow accountability into our lives. And lastly is we must speak the gospel truth in love. We must speak the gospel truth in love. We're just going to read a short passage from 2 Samuel 
verse uh, chapter 12, and then we're going to look at verse 5 to 9 and verse 13. Uh, this story is from uh, the infamous story of David's adultery and how Nathan, the prophet, confronts David. So David, he uh, was a king. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He killed her husband, Uriah, and then he lied, lied about it. He, he kind of hid it. He concealed it. And then God uses Nathan to confront David. And the way that Nathan confronts David, we call it the Nathan method. He tells the story of something that David ought to make a decision on. And that story was about a rich man who stole a poor man's sheep. And he asked David, like, what should we do in this situation? What, what should the judgment on this person be? And this is where this passage picks up David's response. David became very angry at the rich man. He said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this should die. He must pay for the lamb four times for doing such a thing. He had no mercy. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said. I appointed you king of Israel and saved you from Saul. I gave you his kingdom and his wives. I made you king of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you even more. So why did you ignore the Lord's command? Why did you do what he says is wrong? You killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and took his wife to be your wife. Then David said to Nathan, and we jump a couple of verses because he's outlining other consequences. Uh, but in verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan answered, the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. So we see a wonderful example of speaking the gospel truth in love between Nathan and David. David was accountable to God, but he wasn't at a point where he was open to accountability. So God had to intervene and use Nathan to set up this whole scenario. And like, you guys all chuckle, right? Like, you are the man. It's like, dang, that's pretty intense. But what is it that Nathan did? Let's, let's unpackage that. The first thing he did was he spoke gospel truth. He spoke gospel truth. He told David very plainly, very bluntly, no sugarcoating or anything. He just said, you're the man, right? Not like you're the man, you're awesome. Like you're the man, you're the messed up sinner who deserves to die. And, and I think oftentimes, sometimes we, we shy away from telling the gospel truth because we're more concerned about ourselves rather than the other person. Sometimes we're, we're like huge people pleasers. And we're like, oh man, if I say anything negative to that person or critical, if they respond defensively or if they don't like it, and I get this response, then I'm terrified. And I know that oftentimes we talk about like, you know, you have to speak the truth and love and just kind of, you know, learn to do it. But I want to come at it from a different angle. Are you speaking the gospel to that per other person? And do you know parts of the gospel talks about sin? Parts of the gospel talks about how we have fallen short of the glory of God and there's nothing that we can do to earn his righteousness. The gospel says that we will be sinful until the day that we die, until Jesus comes back and we go to be with him in heaven. Are, are you, do you have a problem with telling people the gospel? I hope not. I hope not. I hope we're willing to tell them the whole gospel. And I think Nathan does this wonderfully. He doesn't only just say, you're the man, right? He says, look at all the good things that God has done for you. Look at all the amazing things. What did he say? He says, I appointed you king of Israel. I saved you from Saul. I gave you his kingdom. I made you king of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you even more. 
He's telling David about the goodness of God, and he's contrasting the goodness of God with David's sin. To say, God has been so good to you, but you have been so far from him. You have rejected him. You have sinned against him. We have to learn to speak the gospel truth to one another, that we highlight the goodness of God, and then we reveal to one another the the way that we fall short of his glory. Not only did we speak the gospel truth, but he spoke gospel love. He spoke gospel love. Not only did he say how God is good to him, but what did he say at the end of verse 13? When David says, I have sinned against the Lord. What does Nathan say? He says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Of course, during that time, they didn't know about Jesus quite yet. So he couldn't be like, Christ loves you, right? Or Christ died for you. But somehow Nathan was connected with God enough that he knew that when David was repentant and when he confessed his sin, that's a cue for repentance, right? (laughs) So anytime you hear that noise, repent. When he recognizes his sin, what does Nathan reaffirm for David? He speaks a gospel truth. And it's, again, like, because they don't know about Jesus Christ back then, but he knows somehow that God had mercy on David. David should have been dead. He should have been, cru- he should have been, like, he should have been hit by lightning right there. There were so many other people that God just killed. And David should have been one of them. But Nathan tells David, no, the gospel truth is that you will not die. God has forgiven you. Do we speak the gospel in love to people? Do we tell them, yes, you are created by God as a wonderful creation, but yet you have sinned against God in the most horrific way possible. But there is hope because Jesus Christ has come to redeem you and forgive you, and now that as you're redeemed and you're forgiven, then you can be part of his good kingdom work wherever you go. And guess what happens to David when Nathan does that? And we're not going to look at the, the passage, but Psalm 51. Somewhere in between that whole process, David writes Psalm 51. It's one of the most beautiful psalms, and it's all about repentance. And David says things like, against you, God, only have I sinned. And then he turns to God and he says, you know, do not um, take away from me the joy or renew me or remind me of the joy of my salvation. Created me a, a clean heart that I may come back and worship you. It's a wonderful psalm of someone who's broken and contrite, who's been exposed of their sin, has great accountability from Nathan, is now restored into a loving relationship with, with God. How many of us, we have that kind of relationship? I just want to close with this verse, Galatians 6, verses 1 to 2. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is our role in accountability, is to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How do we bear each other's burdens? We lift one another. We're accountable to God. We open ourselves up to accountability. We speak the truth in love. We bear with one another. And as we do that, what, do we, what happens? We reveal the gospel in that accountability relationship. And the only reason why we are able to bear one another, because all things being equal, like you're talking about someone and you're talking with someone in relationship and they're sharing all this junk. You're like, oh my gosh. 
There's no way I can bear that. I don't even know how to help you. I have no idea how I could encourage you. All I could do is point you back to the gospel. And the gospel is this. Remember what accountability means? It means to take responsibility and give an explanation for your actions. True accountability, when we do it right in a gospel-centered way, is recognizing that Jesus was the one who actually bore our burdens. He's the one who took responsibility for our actions, even when we didn't. Even when we were messed up, even though we were proud, even though we were so closed off, he was the one who took responsibility for our actions, and he gave an explanation to God of why we should still be in a relationship with God. Do you know what his explanation was? It was his death on the cross. Because I have died and bled and suffered excruciating torment should this person now be in a relationship with you. And that's the good news. Is that we can only do great accountability is when we understand the gospel in all these aspects. That's why the one thing for this morning is life transformation is possible when we have accountability according to the gospel. I want to just give us a couple next steps for this morning. Um, it's hopefully familiar to some of you. We have the three C's of LCG, Life Change Groups. Care, commit, challenge. All right, so... That's it. I mean, some of us are like, oh, give me this like, wonderful, amazing secret weapon for how I can have accountability. No, it's, it's the things that we talk about every single day. Care, commit, challenge. You, you have to be genuine in showing love to care for that person. If there's no care, if there's no love, then there's no way your accountability relationship is going to be good. You have to commit to one another. No matter how hard it's going to be, fight for that time to meet up and to be meeting with one another in context. And even if you can't do anything, find a, a Zoom meeting, right? Use a FaceTime, use whatever video platform you, know, you can, just to, even if it's just 30 minutes, just to catch up, share, and pray for one another. It's better than not meeting. Lastly, challenge, speaking the truth in love. I would encourage us, set some goals. Share about like, what are some things that you want to grow in. Share some ways that you're struggling to understand who God is. Challenge one another. And, and under this part of care, commitment, and challenge, we wanted to share a tool that we're going to focus on during this life group. It's called the HHH tool, part of the Alive Discipleship cur Curriculum under the section called Imitate Jesus. It used to be called MMHHF, but then HHH sounds better. Um, I think Pastor Seth is super excited that we, we changed it to HHH. And, and I think what really this gives is a framework for questions that you can ask to help you learn to be accountable to God. It can help you to open up to one another, help you speak the truth and love to each other. So HHH, it stands for Head, Heart, and Hands. I'm not going to read every single question that's there, but we'll share it with your life group leaders. You'll go over it during life group. We want to give, I just want to point out some of the questions and just kind of explain why it's HHH. First one is the head. It, it just talks about like what's in your mind. What's coming out of you because it comes out of the mind? It talks about, you know, do you have proud or self-righteous thoughts? Are you deceiving yourselves? Are you renewing your mind with the gospel? Do your words, because your words are a reflection of what you believe. Uh, are you gossiping about people? Are you sharing the hope that you have about Christ? That's all related to the head. All related to the head. The heart. Some questions that you can ask one another is, have you responded to God with with or others with selfishness or apathy or hatred? What is it about your heart that's going on inside? 
What's your motivation? Is your character consistent with what you say and what you do? Are there things that you love more than God? Because that's a heart issue. That's, that's an idol. We've been talking about that in relationship with God's series, right? Talking about the four R's. What are some idols that are in our hearts? That's a good question that you can ask someone when you're in accountability. And then as you ask that question, as they start to realize certain things, you can say, hey, why don't we go through the four R's? Because it, it looks like that there's an idol in your heart. Lastly is hands. Hands is, is talking about servanthood. It's talking about the lifestyle that you live with. So the questions are, you know, how often do you serve others? Uh, are there opportunities to witness to people? Are there people in your life that you can't forgive, that you can't reconcile with? Have you been living out your faith through decisions? Do your, does your lifestyle reflect the values of God's kingdom, or have you been collecting material wealth for yourself? These are all some really, really great questions for you to think about as you have accountability. And, and please, don't misunderstand. It's not like you have to take this as a list, and every time you sit down with the LCG, okay, just go one question at a time. All right, Do you, did you sin today? <laughs> did you sin today? Did you sin today? Right? Every question is pretty much like, did you sin today? Right? Um, you don't have to go through every question, but as you're talking and you're catching up, you might realize like, oh, sounds like there's a heart issue today. Or maybe the next week, it sounds like that's more of a, a thought issue or a mind or a head issue. Or uh, the previous week, oh, there was a big decision that you had to make. There was something about your hands, the way you serve, the way you live that you might want to be attentive to. And these questions are just a guide to help you know how to ask some good questions that will tease out the gospel in your conversation. Last question that you should ask in any kind of accountability session is, I think it's up there, it says, afterward, it's helpful to ask, have you been completely honest with me? Is there anything else that you need to confess? Ooh, yeah. So it's helpful, why? Because it just puts it out there. Like, have you been fully truthful? Are there things that you've been withholding and gives that person the opportunity to open themselves up? and another great opportunity for the gospel to really speak into their lives. Okay, so let's stand together. We'll close out. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.